You're listening to Financial Insights, a podcast that helps investors through the difficult maze of financial planning and saving for retirement. I'm Brian Ullman, and I'm a financial advisor and certified financial planner at Ford Financial Group. And together with some guests and other advisors at my firm, we're talking about the issues and questions relating to finance that face our clients every day. All right, welcome back to the Financial Insights Podcast. I hope everybody had a good weekend. And good gravy. What a rough week last week. Markets were getting pummeled, particularly on Thursday. Tech stocks taking a beating. Um, the categories that seemed to do pretty well last year, namely large cap tech and kind of growth-oriented allocations, are really the, the categories that took it on the chin probably the most. Um, and small caps rallied a bit on Friday, not enough really to make up for the week. Um, so markets are still digesting what's going on with interest rates. There's some worry that we're going to get some inflation as uh, we go from basically no inflation to maybe some inflation. Um, and we'll address that. We've talked about inflation on this podcast, of course, and and we're actually going to talk about it a little bit more today in this episode, and then we'll address it in some upcoming videos and episodes that we're going to produce. But you are in for a treat today because we are joined by Mira Pandit, who's a vice president uh, and global market strategist at on the J.P. Morgan Asset Management Global Market Insights Strategy Team. Now, that's a long title of the team, uh, but the J.P. Morgan Asset Management Team uh, has their Global Market Insights Strategy Group that Mira is a part of, and she is brilliant. Um, she's been part of the, the J.P. Morgan Private Bank in New York for more than a decade now, um, serving clients and helping folks uh, understand kind of the, the ins and outs of what's going on with markets in the economy and why. Um, she does research on the global economy and capital markets. Uh, she does she does work with J.P. Morgan Asset Management on their um, their publication, like the Guide to the Markets, which is critical for financial advisors as we peel apart the onion trying to kind of dissect what has con- what has gone on recently and what may be in store uh, for the economy and markets as we go forward. And so I, I'm thrilled that Mira could join us for this podcast. And so I think you're in for a real treat as Mira and I talk about today the uh, things going on with the economic recovery from COVID, inflation, interest rates, the market going forward, and so on. So enjoy this episode uh, with me and Mira Pandit from uh, JP Morgan Asset Management um, talking about kind of the ins and outs of markets in the economy. Enjoy. All right, Mira. Well, thank you for joining us. I know in the past with clients, we've done, we've had JP Morgan Asset Management work with us to um, do the guide to the market presentations. And I know it's a favorite of clients. And in this kind of COVID world that we're still stuck living in, um, we can't do that exactly. But I appreciate you taking the time to kind of um, roll through some of JP Morgan's ideas and help help our clients understand where your thoughts are, because I know they line up a lot with how we do things here at Ford Financial Group. So thank you for joining us for this. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's our pleasure, believe me. Um, let's go ahead and dig in. There, there are kind of some broad themes that I, I, we get a lot of questions about. And so I'm curious to get your thoughts on, on these topics. 
the first one really has to do with COVID and the COVID-induced recession that we've been in, or we were in, I guess. Um, and the how recovery out of that recession, what kind of shape that might take? How, how are you and JP Morgan kind of seeing the post-COVID recovery shaping up? So economically, we're actually seeing a pretty strong and speedy recovery ahead, especially when we compare it to, say, the, the financial crisis, for example. Because after the financial crisis, demand collapsed, credit was tight, housing was in shambles, and we had to re-regulate the whole financial system. Right. Uh, this time around, because of massive monetary and fiscal support, some of that permanent damage to households has actually been mitigated. Lending has remained pretty robust, and demand is still there. So we just really have to wait until the economy fully reopens and, and most people get the vaccine. And then you'll see this pent-up demand and, and services in particular will really be realized as we all you know, flood into restaurants and hotels which also means that workers in those industries will be hired back as well. So we do see stronger economic growth and lower unemployment ahead. So you think this kind of reflation of the economy is what's going to push growth here in 2021? Absolutely. And I think that actually perhaps the recovery will happen sooner than expected because essentially the size of the economy really peaked back in the fourth quarter of 2019. And we should actually reach that peak by probably the middle of this year. Oh, the the challenge is, yeah, yeah, it is. And, and the challenge is that really that peak, um, you know, it's great to reach that peak, but if we hadn't had the pandemic at all, we would have continued to grow, you know, two, two and a half percent rate and would have been at a much higher level. So to get to that next step, you know, that's probably more of a, a 2022 event. Okay. That's interesting because I think there's a lot of, there's, you know, there's some faith that people have that once we get vac- people are vaccinated and herd immunity or, or whatever it needs, whatever public health thing needs to happen to get closer to normal, or at least on the other side of COVID is one thing. But then the question becomes, when, when do things get back to normal? And it sounds like you're thinking kind of mid-year this year is when, when we'll start to see some of that growth come back. Yeah, I think so. And I think that what's going to get us to the middle of the year as well is just the massive fiscal support we've seen. So we could get potentially another $1.9 trillion fiscal package in the next few weeks. And if we get that, we would have put towards $5 trillion in pandemic relief money from the government. And that's, you know, the stimulus checks, the small and medium-sized business loans, uh, the, the unemployment benefits. Now, just as a comparison, during the financial crisis, we spent less than $900 billion. So really that support has just dwarfed the previous recession and that has a pretty profound impact on growth. Right. And that, that actually takes me to the next question that we get a lot of, you know, you're talking about, I read somewhere that the two stimulus packages in 2020 combined were actually larger than the new deal. And that doesn't even include what's coming here next, probably pretty shortly. Um, Which really I think increases, or we've gotten questions from our investors about inflation. You know, what is what is going to be the impact of all of the stimulus that has come and is coming in combination with low interest rates, in combination with the natural recovery that comes after a recession? Um, do you feel as though inflation is something that needs to concern investors? This is also just the most common question that I'm getting these days too. And, and what I'd say is, 
we are likely to see headline CPI, that sort of broad measure of inflation, head above 2% this spring if we compare it to last year. Um, But that's something that we don't necessarily think should concern people because we have to remember where we were last spring. Pricing pressures fell. We experienced disinflation, so essentially a decelerating rate of inflation. We saw oil reach $11 a barrel in, in April of 2020. Right. So on, on a year-over-year basis, we're bound to look stronger this year, um, particularly because oil is at you know, nearly $60 a barrel right now. So I, I kind of think about it like we, we popped a tire. We let some of the air out of our tire last year. This year is more about reflation. Um, it is a sort of natural byproduct of the recovery. And we very much have this perspective that inflation is bad. And I think it's a challenge at very high levels. It can be, but we're not there yet. And I actually loved what Chair Powell of the Federal Reserve said this week in his testimony. He said, inflation dynamics change over time, but not on a dime. So I think that in the long run, look, we do have to consider deficits, debt, monetary policy, right-sizing that, rebalancing all of that, because inflation could be a threat in the long run. But sure. in the short run, you know, not not a not a primary concern of ours. Yeah, yeah. There's no free lunch, right? If, no. you're, if you're putting out this kind of stimulus and you're taking out these kinds of actions, but not a 2021 problem is really what I'm hearing from you. Correct. Okay. Well, good. Well, um, if inflation isn't a problem, you know, then one of the things that's stimulating the economy is that the Federal Reserve has kept rates really low. They've committed to keeping rates low. They've changed their inflation target measure. Um, how how do you think it's going to play out with the Federal Reserve? Is, are they really going to wait to raise rates until sometime in 2024 or later? Or do you think the Fed's going to be forced to act sooner? I suspect that it'll still be a, a long time before we see rates rise. I mean, if again, if we compare this to the financial crisis, it took seven years to hike rates. And, you know, if we, we do a little bit of the back of the envelope math here, thinking about the Fed's 2% inflation target, um, that target is on PCE inflation, which is essentially uh, a different measure that they prefer. And it tends to run a little bit cooler than the inflation measures that we're used to. So let's think about 2024 as the target over the next three years. Yeah. Um, the Fed says they want inflation to run a little bit hot over that 2% target. So the last three years, that measure of inflation was on average about 1.6%. That right. means over the next three years, that inflation measure would need to be 2.4% on average. So I don't know that that's necessarily realistic. And then that's why I feel a little bit more comfort that it could be a while till we see um, you know, the Fed move rates higher, just again, with a bit of back of the envelope math. Sure. So, so if we're taking, you know, we're talking kind of in broad economic terms right now. So let's translate this to portfolios, maybe a little bit, or at least asset classes. If we do have low rates longer from the Federal Reserve, how do you think, obviously that's stimulative for the economy, but how do you think that affects equities and fixed income? There's really sort of two sides to that coin. I think from an equity market perspective, look, equity markets have long enjoyed low rates and a lot of liquidity from the Fed. Um, And when there isn't compelling income to be had in bonds, investors do seek out return and even income within the equity markets. I'd also say from a company perspective, you know, costs of borrowing are cheap, so that helps profitability and margins. So broadly, these low rates will continue to benefit the equity market. And that's something we're seeing reflected in valuations today. But on the other side of the coin, it is a little bit challenging for fixed income investors. 
because right. you're looking for that downside cushion and there's not as much as there perhaps historically had been. And you're also looking for income and there's not as much of that either. So you do have to really scour the market carefully to, to look for opportunities there. Yeah. It's almost like these low rates are still punishing savers or fixed income investors. And, and that's where we get to those, these valuations, the old Tina trade, right? There's no alternative. Yes. You've got to go into equities. Um, yes. And that actually takes me to, to one of the next questions that we get here a lot. Mira, I'm sure you get this question a lot. Um, and it has to do with valuations and are we in a bubble kind of question. Because at the end of last year, the S&P was trading at more than 22 times forward earnings, which is not far from the tech bubble peak. Um, how yeah. do you think investors should view this? Should they be cautious because valuations need to come back down to earth? Or are valuations here, you feel like they're acceptable because of low yields, like we just talked uh, talked about on investments and like the 10-year treasury and fixed income? I think that, look, there is some extent to which these high valuations are warranted. You mentioned low rates. I think that's part of it. It's also that equity markets are forward-looking. They're looking past a lot of the uncertainty we're facing right now through to the period of recovery. I'd also say there's a bit of a mismatch with PEs themselves, where, again, that price aspect is forward-looking, but earnings are still on the mend. So once you start to see Mm. earnings recovery kind of stage a more durable comeback, then all of a sudden you could actually see PE ratios normalize a little bit. So we're in a little bit of an odd period here in terms of timing. I'd also say, you know, if you think about the S&P 500 PE ratio, uh, last year the rally was driven by a small number of stocks. So the top 10 stocks in the S&P 500 are actually about 1.7 times expensive relative to history. But the rest of the S&P 500 is just about 1.25 times Mm. expensive relative to history. And where we ended last year was about 200 stocks in the S&P 500 were still in negative territory. So what I'm saying is there's room for a broader based rebound, and there's also room for some of the less expensive areas of the market, which is actually a large portion of the market to to do well in the future too. It's almost like uh, as we look forward, maybe more of a a value lean on portfolio or in portfolios versus a growth lean like we've been forced into for the last year, a couple of years, actually. Absolutely. We're, we're definitely seeing the case for relative valuations. If the overall market feels a little bit rich, where do you find that relative opportunity? You right. see that in value over growth. You see that as well in, in international over the U.S. Sure. And you know both of those areas have a lot of a cyclical recovery built into that essentially levers them to, to the recovery. Right. Absolutely. And and you raised international, uh, the international asset classes that we've been adding to here in our portfolios. And international investments are something I would say that maybe over the last few months have probably come into more favor among investors, seemingly because your Asia and maybe Europe are a little bit further ahead in the COVID in the COVID recovery process than the US. And you know, they've got the weaker dollar helping them out. Do you think do you think international asset classes should be a bigger part of investors' portfolios? I do. And and what we see when we look across investors' portfolios is that often investors are more underweight this area than they should be, Um, underweight compared to neutral. So that is a bit of a challenge there. I'd also say, you know, you highlighted a lot of the tailwinds for international, whether it's some areas that have recovered faster from the pandemic, the weaker dollar, 
we just spoke about more favorable relative valuations. I'd also say the cyclicality within international markets is high. So some of those cyclical sectors will do better, you know, financials, energy, industrials, as economic activity picks up. In the S&P 500, exposure to those sectors is about 37%. But in Europe and emerging markets, that's north of 50%. So you get that cyclical boost there. So some opportunity say, out there for, for, yeah, for most investors if they're underweight, right? Yes. And I think there's different opportunities in developed markets and emerging markets. So within an emerging market, uh, from an emerging market perspective, um, that's really where you're going to see growth once we get beyond the pandemic. We're going to see about one and a half billion people join the middle class over the next decade. And 90% of that is going to come from emerging market Asia. And all of those emerging consumers are going to want to buy luxury goods, appliances, financial sure. products, insurance, right. um, education, healthcare. So that's really going to fuel consumption and earnings ahead. But I'd also say, you know, even within developed markets, you know, some people are not as uh, bullish on Europe. I'd say look for the interesting trends there because Europe, for, for example, has an aging population. So stocks that capture innovation in healthcare could provide opportunities. Um, they're also a leader in renewable technology and clean energy. Um, I mentioned that emerging consumer, you know, Europe is sort of the epicenter of luxury goods. So there are selective opportunities there in, in a number of different trends. Right. So if you're, if you're an investor looking to add in an, an international component, you shouldn't, you're, what I'm hearing is that you probably shouldn't just focus on emerging or developed international, but have a mix of both in your portfolio. Um, because you're likely underweight also in both, right? You're likely underweight. And when you start to, to tread deeper into both of these markets, there's a lot of different opportunities that actually sometimes the index doesn't necessarily capture. So again, being selective in both of these areas, I think is important. And I think it's where investors perhaps have lagged in terms of performance um, over time if they haven't been selective enough and opportunistic enough in some of the areas here. Sure. So there's still, even though we've been on this heck of a run here in these last few months, there's still more room to grow. You've just got to kind of find find where the opportunities lie because maybe the low-hanging fruit's been picked a little bit already. Um, so. Absolutely. I think that the rebound is going to become a lot more broad as we tread deeper into this year. There's a lot of areas of the market that need to play catch up, and there's still opportunities out there. We look at the headline numbers um, evaluations and performance and things like that without really digging underneath the surface to find that, hey, there, there's still opportunities out there for sure. Yeah. And, and I think that's an important message here for everybody because what, I get the inflation question a lot. We all do here. And I'm sure you do as well. But the other question that we get a lot also is, are we in a bubble? Are valuations too high? And I think, you know, if anything like the retail sales number from, from January shows that there is a lot of pent-up demand I mean, people are chomping at the bit to get back out and resume normal life, whatever that looks like post-COVID. Um, and I don't think we can discount that, <laughs> right? No. And, and, the interesting, and the interesting thing about the retail sales number is that a lot of the best performing categories were still goods and still online sales. So that doesn't even take into account what we could see on the other side of the pandemic when everybody is booking up airline fares and right. hotels and going to restaurants. So I do think that there's still a lot of demand left out there, especially when you take a look at things like the savings rate. 
you know, I, I don't want to underscore the fact that this has been a really challenging time for many households, sure. but in aggregate, we do see a lot of savings on the sidelines, which means people have some firepower to spend once all this is over. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and the people who have the, the, the ones who, you know, of course, COVID has steamrolled people in the hospitality industry, restaurants and bars and things. Um, but the folks who were able to go and work from home and couldn't go do anything else, um, you know, and their finances were largely unaffected. Those are the kinds of people who do a lot of spending as well, who haven't had that chance. <laughs> I can't imagine, they're not just going to get back to normal. They're going to make it for lost time, right? And in particular, some of those upper income segments spend a larger portion of their disposable income on areas like travel and leisure and entertainment. And if the demand is there, it also means, you know, all of these different establishments need to hire people back. And I understand that some areas have gone out of business and there is some degree of permanent damage. But, you know, if, you, if you're a restaurant, for example, and you had uh, 10 employees and in March 2020, you had zero employees because of the lockdown, perhaps right. you hired five back in June when things open back up. It's a lot harder to hire those second five while the pandemic is going on because you might not have the foot traffic you might not be able to afford it. But right. as soon as everybody wants to go out to your restaurant, you're going to need to bring those other five people back. So yeah. I do think that you will see a bit of a snapback there in employment, particularly because that's where we saw the, the, the sectors hit hardest. Sure. Yeah. And, and it'll be, it'll, you know, it's, it remains to be seen what kind of, what, how, I have a sense that the jobs recovery is going to take a little bit longer than the economic recovery, only because there are some, I mean, we're doing, we're doing this over the internet, right? The, the, the podcast over yeah. the internet, instead of doing, as I began with, you know, having you fly into Fresno and have a, a, a big gathering. And so it, I think some of the efficiencies that we've been forced into because of COVID may hang around, which could maybe extend the jobs recovery and require it to take a little bit longer than perhaps the economic recovery overall. Um, is that your sense as well? I think... Perhaps, but I, I would say that, look, as far as I know, that there haven't been new robots that have come out that are able to be restaurant servers or, right. you know, operate in a hotel. So I actually do think that the pace of automation has not really kept up. And I don't think that a lot of these jobs can be replaced by the end of the year with with automation. So I do actually think that the labor market recovery still could be pretty strong. I do think, to your point, the way we operate could be a little bit different in that there's a lot more flexibility for people who can work from home or can use technology. Things like business travel certainly will still lag for, for probably quite some time. But overall, I think there's a lot of opportunity for, for recovery in the labor market. That, that's a good point because in the arc of history, this has been a blip. Even though COVID lockdowns have felt like forever, it's yeah. actually been about a year and you can't make robots that serve <laughs> a good cocktail. Um in that amount of time. So, so that's a very good point. Well, uh, Mira, I'll leave it there. I really, really appreciate you coming on and, and enlightening us on your thoughts on all of this kind of post COVID kind of, um, you know, the, what the post COVID makeup of the economy is going to look like and how that might affect markets a little bit. So, uh, I appreciate you taking your time to, to give us your thoughts. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Let's do it again. The advisors with Ford Financial Group are registered representatives with and securities are offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, and SIPC.
Investment advice is offered through Ford Financial Group, a registered investment advisor and a separate entity from LPL. The opinions voiced in this material are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Stock investing involves risk, including loss of principal. No strategy assures success or protects against loss. The economic forecasts set forth in this podcast may not develop as predicted. Ford Financial Group and LPL Financial do not provide tax or legal advice or services. This information is not intended as a solicitation or an offer to buy or sell any security referred to herein.